Again, my, my name is Pastor Don Hosfeld, and it's good to be here with you guys. Thankful that you uh, invited us down here, especially this time of the year. Whenever I left Wisconsin, I was driving to the airport. I was surprised to see it looked like blizzard conditions to me. And so I'm very thankful to be down here right now. So especially since we just moved, my wife and I, to Wisconsin from Florida. So I kind of got used to this this weather. So, um, But that's how much I think of the Berean Bible Society. And so, again, I'm, I'm appreciative for being here and thankful uh, that you invited us down here. And uh, it's exciting. It's always exciting to meet uh, grace believers. And uh, as, as he was talking about before, as, as, as much as it's exciting to meet uh, fellow grace believers, I can also tell you, when there's free food and half on, off on books, now I'm really excited. So, so. Uh, the next couple of uh, nights or next three days, we're going to be talking, as you see here on the board here, the theme is, is uh, God's battle plan for our spiritual warfare. And tonight's message is titled, Like It or Not, You're in the Battle. And I mean it just like I said, like it or not, you're in the battle. But I want to begin uh, this evening by asking you two questions. First one, how long after you became a believer did it take for you to realize that life wasn't going to be just a bed of roses? <laughs> and it wasn't going to be as maybe as easy as you thought, that there were still going to be difficulties, that everything wasn't going to be smooth sailing forevermore. The next question I would ask you is how long after being saved was it that you realized that not only do you have to deal with your flesh that's trying to pull you in directions you should not go, but by becoming a believer, you now have a new enemy. And I hope you realize that. Because what I intend to show you, if you don't already realize it, the moment you became a believer, you signed on for a battle. You signed on for a war. And like it or not, you are in this battle. And you have an enemy. And over the next few days, we're going to be talking about this spiritual war that we as Christians face. And, and I'm not talking about the same difficulties that the whole world faces, but the ones we face because we are Christians. There is a battle because you're a Christian. And that's what I'm talking about today and tonight. And ultimately what Pastor Kurth and I will be talking about the next few days. And what do I mean by this? This whole creation groans and pains together. We know that there's difficulties. Our bodies get older. They die. We face difficulties in this world. We have to use things like glasses, things that are just annoyance. But I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about if you are a Christian, then that means that you're in Christ, right? Yes. If you're a Christian, you're in Christ. And that means you have an enemy. We see this on the world stage whenever governments, they align with another country. And when they do that, what happens is, is the enemy of that country just became their enemy. That's the way it works, which is why signing treaties are carefully considered. Whenever a country signs a treaty, 
with another foreign country. I mean, you think about it, that's the way it works with NATO. If, 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 if a country attacks a NATO country, what happens? The United States, because of that, they've taken on that enemy. Well, the same thing is true for us as believers. Christ has an enemy. And if you're in Christ, there's no getting around this, my friends. That enemy has declared war on you. Psalm 110.1 says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make what? Thine enemies thy footstool. You know that scripture is quoted seven times. I tend to believe that when something's said once, it's important in the Bible. If it's said twice, you'd better pay attention. If it's said three times, you really better be paying attention. And if it's said seven times, it's telling us something. The Lord has an enemy in this world. And if you're in Christ, you're not going to avoid it. It's just the simple truth. Simple truth. If you're in Christ, you do have an enemy as well. But Pastor Kurt and I aren't here just to announce the fact that we have a spiritual war. We also want to speak about God's battle plan for our spiritual war. It's not enough just to tell you that we've got a war and then go home. What we want to do is also encourage you as to what is God's battle plan for this war. He hasn't left us here without instructions. Our God is a loving God. He didn't put us in the battlefield and said, okay, you're on your own now. But sometimes that's how we live our lives. We wonder why it is that sometimes life is more difficult than it needs to be. Yes, I understand life is going to be difficult, but sometimes we forget that maybe we're not paying attention to God's instructions. How many of us have kids around here? You ever had to tell your kids, you know, if you listened to me the first time, it might not have worked out so bad. <laughs> you get what I'm saying here? Well, how much are we listening? I believe it's a fitting topic, and some might say, you know, oh, it's, we understand, we know that there's a battle plan, we know that the Bible's important, but I believe this is a fitting topic as much now and as much as any other time in history, because there is a battle raging, and in fact, I wouldn't even call it a battle. This is an all-out war, and like I said, like it or not, you are in it. But many, I fear, don't recognize that they're in enemy territory. I think many, especially here in the United States, we have it pretty good, and we praise God for how good we have it, especially we praise God and we're thankful for those men and women that sacrifice so much that, so that we can have it the way that we have it today. And we get comfortable in this life. But don't be fooled. You are in enemy territory. We're behind enemy lines, which I'm getting ahead of myself because that's tomorrow's message. When you don't recognize that you're in enemy territory, then you probably don't recognize what that entails. Satan is the god of this world, is he not? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. I want to read this because I don't want you to take my word for it. I normally hand out sheets like Pastor Kurt does, but I don't have a whole lot of scriptures so I figured we'd uh, do it the old-fashioned way. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse, verses 3 and 4 is what we're going to look at here. 
says, but if our gospel be hid, it's the Apostle Paul talking, obviously, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine forth unto them. And, and this may reference unbelievers here, but the fact of the matter is, is don't be fooled in thinking that Satan is only blinding the minds of unbelievers. What you can tell from this passage here, if nothing else, is Satan is active. He's involved. He's not sitting around waiting for his day of demise. He's active, and he's doing things. It's not just to the unbeliever. The simple fact of the matter is, is he is working to oppose God at every turn. As we're at the Brigham Bible Society working on the Grace Study Bible, one of my books is the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah. And one of the things that's pretty obvious when you pay attention to that, those are books that talk about the return from exile, from Babylonian captivity. And what happens? The Jews come back and they're going to build, and they're going to build the temple again. And what happens as soon as they get back there? What happens? People come along to try to stop the work. Do you think that's just coincidence? Or is that Satan trying to oppose the work of God on every turn? Every time God is at work, there is his enemy right there to try to stop it. Which is why when you become a believer, I become a believer, or even when our loved ones become believers, what happens as soon as they become a believer? Satan is going to attack them. Because Satan is at work, and not just for the unbeliever blinding them, but also to the believer. And so there's consequences for not understanding what this war means. Ephesians 6, 16 talks about the fact that you need to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. Well, you need to know how to do that. But if you don't understand and pay attention to the fact that you are in a battle, that you're in a war, you're not likely to be able to quench those fiery darts. They're going to come at you. But if you're not prepared for how to deal with it, I think that's half the problem we're facing. Getting people to understand and involve themselves in this battle that rages around them, it's not unique to this spiritual battle that we have, um, that we're dealing with today. I think I brought a book with me. Yeah, it's right here. You know, you wouldn't probably be American. If you're American, I'm very thankful to be American. But you probably wouldn't be an American if it wasn't for the man who wrote this book. For the work from a man by the name of Thomas Paine. You familiar with that name? Mm -hmm. It was his words that likely saved the American cause for independence. Now, I'm not saying that he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. But we cannot deny um, the importance of what this writing was. And again, I, I believe this. As a student of history, I don't know that we would be Americans if it wasn't for this book right here, Common Sense, which is a combined of two different works of Thomas Paine's. But to put it in perspective, most Americans today don't realize the desperate situation that the Patriots were in in the winter of 1776. 
To put it in perspective, some suggest that Gettysburg was the turning point of the Civil War, and I would suggest to you that the Dece December of 1776 was the turning point in the American Revolution. And it was, it was this, these events right here which enables us to have an America today. On December 23rd, 1776, Thomas Paine's first essay was released, which combined with the following work, it was titled, The American Crisis. He wrote, this is a quote from him, and you probably are familiar with at least the first part of this. He says, these are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. But that he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Listen to this. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us. That the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. That salvation we have costs the dear blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That grace wasn't cheap, was it? Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods, and it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. As he writes this, again, this is one of the many desperate times in the revolution, and I would suggest maybe even the greatest. George Washington found this first essay so inspiring, he ordered it to be read to the troops at Valley Forge. It was just two nights later. Have you, you guys remember the crossing of the Delaware? You know, that famous painting of, of him crossing that frozen river? This is what George Washington ordered read two nights before that. It was these words he used to inspire that event. This pamphlet was so popular that as a percentage of the population, again, get this, as a percentage of the population, it was read by or read to more people than today watch the Super Bowl. That's how popular this was. And there was two pressing needs that Thomas Paine was trying to address. And I believe that they're very fitting, which is why I'm using them as an illustration and a message. I believe it's very fitting when it comes to us and our situation in spiritual battle. There was two needs. One, a need for those who are engaged not to be dissuaded, but to continue the fight. Do you ever feel beat down? Do you ever feel it's tough? Or maybe do you know somebody that suffers from depression? Or maybe they suffer and, and, and feel like that there's no, there's no end in sight, there's no victory, that, there, there's, that, that this is just an evil world and they don't even want to be a part of it anymore. The other thing he needed to do was he wanted to make sure all knew that there was a war. And that may seem weird to think that how could, in the Revelation, how could they not understand that there was a battle around them? But, but the simple truth of the matter is, is people will often turn their eyes away from what they do not want to see. Yeah. We do that, I'm sure. They just turn their eyes away from it. You've, you've heard of 
the idea of like a kitchen table issue. We talk about this in politics. And so there might be some really big issues that are going on in the world, but what the people matters is what's right in front of them. This kitchen table issue. What's, how much is my gasoline costing? How much is the price of bread? And so you would see people in the revolution that even though battle would be raging, they were concerned about, well, I need to put food on my table. And so there were people at that time that were totally disengaged with the war. And I would suggest to you that that's what's going on in the world today when we talk about this spiritual battle. There are people that are understandably so, so, so concerned about their own life, the things that they need to take care of, but at the same time they forget that there's a battle raging. There's a war going on. So just like Thomas Paine, <coughs> trying to engage the people, that's ultimately what we're trying to do here to point out the fact that we are in a battle, that we are in a war. Don't be dissuaded. Don't give up. Don't think. Because the fact of the matter is, is I don't know about you, but I know how it ends. I know who wins. That gives me a lot of comfort. Making people understand the importance of the war was an issue that was facing the American Revolution And it's an issue that's facing the church. Like then, many today would rather concentrate on matters closer to themselves. That's what we oftentimes do. We think about what's closer to my neighborhood, my family, my retirement schedule, my fill-in-the-blank. I have a question. Who's supposed to determine our priorities? Wasn't there someone who bought us? Wasn't there someone who paid for us? Shouldn't Christ be the one to determine my priorities? Shouldn't he be the one? Didn't, doesn't he have the right because he purchased my freedom, because he purchased my salvation? Doesn't, didn't he not... I mean, literally, earn the right to tell me what the priority should be. And I would suggest to you that he is. He purchased us. And so we should look at what his priorities are. You know, the Apostle Paul considered his ministry a fight. Not a fellowship meal. Now, I really like fellowship meals. But the fact of the matter is, is the Apostle Paul, if you pay attention to his writings, he considered not just his ministry a fight, but he considered the body of Christ a ministry that was in a fight. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, he asks the Corinthians, he's, he says, who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? He's obviously talking about the idea of being compensated for the ministry work. But how many times is Paul using this example? He's using an example, who goes to warfare? And he's using that because, well, that's what we're doing. Ministry is hard. If you're in ministry, you can say amen to that. But the next next part that I like to say about that, ministry is necessary. It's necessary. And it takes all of us. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 Paul says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. 
that fight that he's talking about there, I don't think it's, he's talking here about the flesh. I mean, that is a fight. But I don't think that's what he's talking about here. I think he's talking about the spiritual war that's going on. I think he's talking about the fact that I've fought it. I have finished my course. Turn to me and if you have your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. And I think this verse helps prove this point of what I'm talking about here. He, Paul realized that he had a course. He had a, a position. He had a fight before him. Look at first, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Philippians 1, 16. He says, The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Read that again. I am set for the defense of the gospel. And we can look at this for the defense of the gospel, and we can say, there it is, that defense. But what I want you to notice is this word set. Set. This word set means to be placed. The Greek word describes a soldier being placed on duty. This is what it's, it's suggesting. This is what it's talking about. It's like a soldier who's been placed on duty. He's been set there to stand watch. I remember when I was in boot camp. I was actually not far um, from you know, where Ricky lives in, in Chicago in the Great Lakes. And I was in boot camp. And let's face it, if you're in boot camp in the Great Lakes, you're probably not going to get invaded by anybody. <laughs> it's probably not going to. But guess what? They weren't going to cut any corners. If you were on watch at 4 o'clock in the morning, guess where you better be? That's right. You had better be there. Why? Because you were set there. And that's what Paul is talking about. He says... The people are doing this because they know that I was set for the defense of the gospel. What he's talking about here is I was placed on duty to do this. This word is also used in regards to Christ. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 34. Luke chapter 2, verse 34. And this is used regarding Christ. And you might be familiar with whenever Joseph and Mary bring the infant Jesus to the temple. And they meet this Simeon. You guys remember Simeon? Simeon is the, is the guy that was promised by God that he wouldn't die until he put his eyes on the Messiah. And what's very interesting, again, is, 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 is Joseph and, and Mary are bringing the baby Jesus in there. Simeon sees him. And look at what it says here in Luke chapter 2, verse 3, 34. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child, look at, look at what it says, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. And for a sign which shall be spoken against. What do you think, think this is being said here? It's saying that this child is placed for this cause. This is what this child is destined. This is his responsibility. This is what he is set for. And the Apostle Paul says, I am set for the defense of the gospel. Paul acknowledges that he's placed like a soldier for the defense of the gospel. Are we not to follow the Apostle Paul as our example? 
Was he the only one placed for the defense of the gospel? Is he the only one that set? Is it simply because he's the apostle, the Gentile? Just because he's our apostle, he also says what? Be ye followers of me. He's calling us along to be a part of this. And I would suggest to you that by putting your faith and trust in Christ's finished work, by being a believer, by, by putting on Christ's righteousness, by placing your sins upon him, You've been tasked to be set for this battle. Like it or not, you are in this battle. I continue to use quotes and illustrations from the American Revolution because I believe that the, there's similarities to our situation. Thomas Paine, who I mentioned before, here's a quote by him. He says, I call not upon a few, but upon all. Not on this state or that state, but on every state. Up and help us. Lay your shoulders to the wheel. Better to have too much force than too little when so great an object is at stake. Just as Thomas Paine issued a call to fight, the Apostle Paul has issued a similar call. Paul, as he's talking to his child in the faith, Timothy, what I would suggest it rings true for each one of, each one of us. Turn me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Paul also issues a call for the body of Christ to be in this fight. He's not calling for just a few. He's calling for all of us. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 18, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. There's no doubt that what Paul has in mind here. Timothy, fight a good fight, that you might war a good warfare. There's no if, ands, or buts after this. It's no that you might fight a good warfare if you need to. If somebody calls you to, no. The presumption here is, is you're fighting a good war. You're fighting a war, and you need to find it well. Look at the verse, next verse, verse 19. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. And I don't want to get into what I'm going to talk about tomorrow. But I'm going to talk about where I believe this battlefield is. I think that sometimes we've, we've gotten confused on where the battlefield really lies. A hint of that is right there and it has to do with faith. Paul knew, as we should, that it wasn't just him, meaning it wasn't just Paul because he was Christ's apostle. Paul may have been the one leading the charge, but he wasn't the only one that was supposed to fight this war. All of the body of Christ is in this war. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. No man, I'm sorry, getting ahead of myself there again. Thou therefore endure hardness, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You see, like all armies, 
It takes people doing many different jobs. Which is why it talks about there's different parts of the body of Christ. There are some that are the hands. There are some that are mouths. There are some that are different parts. Some people that's going to be playing this piano. That's why I'm so thankful for, for the people that do that kind of a thing. There are some people that are going to be back there running the board. Doing the electronics. There are going to, some people that are going to welcome people through those doors. There are going to be some people that are going to be tasked because they can't get up and teach. And they can't get up and play the piano or whatever it is. But they can be an encourager to those who are doing things. Because guess what? In every army, you need lots of people doing lots of different things. Not everybody's going to be doing the same thing. And if you've got to drive, and if you have the desire to get up and preach and to speak and to teach, amen, let's, let's get you prepared to do that. <clears throat> but there are so many different aspects in this battle, in this war. Just like in an army on the field, you need those who are going to be bringing things up for supplies. You need, to be, you need those who are on the front lines. You need people all over the place. And just like he's talking about here, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Wherever that you can ante up and kick in, guess what? We need you kicking in. Why? Because if the American Revolution was so important that it was one of the most desperate things, how much bigger is this battle? This eternal battle that's been raging for a long, long time. And then he says here in this next verse, he tells us how to fight. So he talks about in verse 4 to endure hardness. And then he says in, in verse 4, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, he says, No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life. What's he talking about here? He's saying that if you're an army in the, in the, you know, in the U.S. Army, guess what? You're paid to go and, and, and show up and be there on time to, to, to handle your responsibilities in the army. Unfortunately, you can't be back, back here sometimes taking care of the things that you may want to take care of. Why? Because you're in the army for the U.S. Guess what? When they call you to go do something, that's what you got to go do. And it's no different when it comes to the body of Christ and in the army of Christ. But so many times as believers, we think that Christianity is a part-time thing. We think that it's a, a Sunday and a Wednesday. And I'm not here to lay a guilt trip on you. I'm just trying to open, open our eyes together. If that's how we fight the fight, what's going to happen? Somebody's going to end up paying the consequences. And so how we fight this fight is important, which is what we'll be talking about the next three different sessions between Pastor Kurt's messages and, and mine as well. This battle, as I said, is eternal. I'm, I'm one of those that believe that, that Satan sinned whenever he fell, so to speak. It happened in the Garden of Eden. That's when I believe that Satan fell. I don't believe that it happened before. I believe that, that whenever, whenever he was talking to Adam and Eve, when those events, that's, I, that's when I believe Satan ha that happened. And I believe that when, when Satan did that, when, he, when you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, 12 through 15, when you had that event, you had the beginning of the real First World War. We think of World War, World War I, but the very first World War started back in Genesis chapter 3. Because Satan declared war on God. That's what he did. Satan lied about God, and he successfully orchestrates a division 
between man and God. That's what he does. He come in and he, he successfully orchestrated the division between man and between God. And he creates a division between man and woman, doesn't he? What is, what is Adam's excuse? Blames the wife. I can't imagine how that went when they got back home. <laughs> yeah, I can see, you know, what were you thinking? But he did. Satan, he creates a division between God and man, and he creates a division between woman and man. The result is there's enmity. Enmity is hostility and hatred. Satan was able to inject enmity between the warring factions. Meaning, between God and Satan, there's this enmity. Satan was able to interject it. This is why I say it's the very first world war. So the battle that we're talking about has been going on since the beginning, my friends. So like I said, believer or unbeliever, engaged or not engaged, like it or not, you are in this battle. The question is, verse 4, how are you going to fight it? How are you going to fight it? Satan's desire is to displace God. That's what he wants to do. And all of mankind since that point in time, this is simplistic, but it's, it, it really fits. All of mankind since the fall has been faced with the same choice that Joshua gave Israel in Joshua chapter 24 when he says, choose you this day whom you will serve. And since the Garden of Eden, every man, every woman has had that choice. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Yeah. One or the other. And I believe this is why Christ could say during his earthly ministry that he wants somebody hot or cold, not lukewarm. You're either going to be for Christ or against Christ. Paul urges the body of Christ to fight the enemies of Christ and the gospel. Man's got to choose either to serve God or his enemy. But what if you're not part of the body of Christ? Maybe everyone in this room or maybe anybody who's going to see this video is saved. Maybe. Maybe. That's a big maybe. I want to take a moment, much like the Apostle Paul does. I'm going to turn with me to 2 Corinthians. One of the things I love about the Apostle Paul is that he'll be talking to believers, and you can tell from the context, and then all of a sudden he'll switch, and you can tell that he's addressing, like he's speaking to a non-believer. And we know that's because the Bible is inspired. It's, it's the Holy Spirit who inspires this. But when you look at 2 Corinthians, what's interesting is, is Paul, as he's talking in Corinthians, he's talking to believers, but then all of a sudden he says something that he, he must be thinking of unbelievers. And I want to take that moment, if I can do that this, this evening. Because what if you are not in the body of Christ? 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 1 and 2, it says, We then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, verse 2, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in a day of salvation I have succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And why is that? 
Because we're not promised tomorrow, right? Now is the time. Which is why I want to say this, because if you're not in this battle on Christ's side, then that means obviously you're on Satan's side, know it or not. Because you only have two options, two choices. And again, like I said, the Apostle Paul here, what he does is earlier in the chapter, chapter 5, he's talking to believers, but then he switches it. He starts talking to non-believers. But, but I want to tell you this. What he says here in, in, in verse 1, 2 Corinthians 6, 1, not to receive the grace of God in vain. I, I believe what Paul is talking about here is this, this, this grace of God. I believe that grace is the gift of righteousness. Don't receive the gift of righteousness in vain. And the reason I believe that is if you turn back to chapter 5 and look at how Paul finished chapter 5 and look what he's saying. He's, he's given it. He's given a... Well, he's given the gospel. He's given the reason. He's telling the unbeliever that they need to believe. 2 Corinthians 5, 20, he says, Now then we as ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. He's not saying this to believers. He's saying this to unbelievers. He stopped in the middle of talking to believers to interject this, I beseech you. Be ye reconciled to God. <clears throat> Verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See, the fact of the matter is, is if you're not in, if you're not part of the body of Christ, I've got bad news for you. The fact is, Satan's already lost this war. His side is already lost. And all those on his side are condemned already. Right now is the long-suffering of God. And there's one way to move from the wrong side, the losing side, to the victorious side. So you're not going to get out of the battle. Either way, you're still in it. But there's one way. To go from the losing side to the winning side. And that is, is to choose Christ. And that is to put your faith in Christ's work on the cross for your sins. That he died for your sins, was buried, and rose again for your justification. And our Lord and Savior couldn't have made it any easier for us. And that's what he's saying in chapter 6. Don't take the disgrace of God in vain. This gift of righteousness. Romans chapter 5, as I finish up here, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith. Do you know the rest of that? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the peace comes from. There's a battle raging on, there's a fight, there's Satan has declared war with God, and we get peace with God only through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you drop down 10 verses, Romans chapter 5, verse 10, it says, For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. First verse I ever memorized from Romans chapter 8, He that spared not his own Son, 
but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all thanks? It's the first verse I ever memorized. I can remember exactly where I was at when I did it. It reminds me that if the father was willing to sacrifice that son for me while I was his enemy, now that I'm his, I'm secure. He's freely going to give me all those spiritual blessings in heavenly places. But you only get that when you're in Christ. That's the only way you get it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you this evening for this opportunity that we can begin to have a discussion on your battle plan for this spiritual war that we have. And I pray that as we, we talk tonight, we lay the foundation of the fact that no matter who you are, you are in this battle. I pray that between Pastor Kurth and my remaining messages that we, we can just really lay the groundwork for what your plan is, knowing that, that there is a plan. There is a way in which we can fight this smartly. So, Lord, I just pray that you would just use this time that we had this evening to set the stage for the, the remaining messages. I pray that you be glorified through everything that we say and everything that we do through this conference. I thank you for this local assembly and their love for you and their dedication to your word and to the truth, rightly divided. Thank you for the pastor here and, again, his ministry and all those who are putting, uh, stepping forward in the work that they do. And I just pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.